0: and welcome to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish. I'm Wendy. And we're back with you again with an all new episode. From Canada
1: again. Yay. Yay! Yay!
0: Going to Canada, our neighbors to the north. So we want to take a moment and thank all our listeners. I know we say this all the time, but we do greatly appreciate you and we don't want to take for granted you guys taking the time to listen to us. So thank you. Thank
1: you. And if you want to reach out to us, the best place to do that is probably our website, criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. There you will actually find all of our show notes, resources if you want to dive deeper into the cases. And you can also find our contact form where you can tell us your favorite episodes. You can send us case suggestions. Maybe we'll cover a case that you're interested in on a future episode. And you can just drop us a line and tell us about yourself. You can also rate and review our podcast and whatever app you listen to us on you can find us on facebook twitter as long as it still is around instagram youtube we're everywhere criminal discourse podcast criminal disc pod we're out there guys we're in the verse
0: We're in the verse. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to get started. Like uh, Wendy said, we are in Canada. Actually, this episode takes place in Kipling, a small rural farming community in the Canadian province of Saskatchewan. The town is named after famed British author Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book. The population hasn't changed much over the years and has a little over a thousand residents. Kipling's other claim to fame was its entry into the Guinness Book of World Records, when it was certified that Kipling held the world's largest paperclip. Standing fifteen feet tall and weighing three thousand and forty three pounds. <laughs> I have to be honest here. This is a weird quirk. I love office supplies and especially big paper clips. So Kipling, well, there you go. Head you to have, Kipling.
1: You have my heart.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. So on October 31st, 1992, a woman named Candace. Now, just a disclaimer here. I did watch an episode of Forensic Files called Bad Blood, and we do have that referenced in the show notes. And the individual we're going to be talking about, they called her Candy. In a couple different articles I read, they called her Candace. I'm not sure what her first name is. I I think it's Candace, and that's what I'm going to go with, just Candace. Okay, another fun fact about me. I was supposed to be named
1: Candace, and my mom changed her mind at the last minute because she didn't want people calling me Candy.
0: So I don't know. Well, there you go. Maybe that's why they called her Candy on the episode. So we're going to go with Candace. So Candace had gone to Kipling Memorial Union Hospital wanting to talk to a friend of hers who worked there. Earlier in the evening, Candace had gotten into a fight with her boyfriend and was so worked up that she left her job at a local gas station in search of her friend. Now, when she arrived at the hospital, she discovered that her friend wasn't working that night. But a nurse on duty saw her just really upset and suggested she see the doctor on call. So Candace was placed into an examination room. Dr. John Schneeberger was on call that night. Candace, who was 23 at the time, knew Dr. Schneeberger as he had delivered her baby. So Dr. Schneeberger, who also went by Dr. John, and that's what I'm going to call him because Schneeberger is quite a a name. It, It doesn't roll off the tongue. It does not. He suggested giving her a sedative to help calm her down, which she agreed to. Now, she thought Dr. John would give her a pill, but when he returned to the room, he had a syringe. Now, once administered, Candace would recall later that she immediately went numb all over. She had no control over her muscles. She was unable to speak to scream, and she fell over onto the examination table, losing consciousness. Now, when she awoke, she was alone in the examination room, not quite knowing what had happened, but believing she had been raped. Now, Candace, in later interviews, would describe it like when you go to the dentist to have a tooth pulled. After you're all numbed up, you can't really feel anything but the pressure. And so she felt that something because of that, she knew something had happened. Mm -hmm. And so she had the presence of mind to take off her underwear and put it into a clear plastic bag and seal it.
1: That had to be terrifying.
0: Yeah. I mean, and she's still disoriented because she's still too dizzy to leave the hospital. So she would end up spending the night per a nurse's insistence. So when she came out of the examination room, you know, she's not walking straight. She's still dizzy. The nurse is like, whoa, you need to lie down. And she said nothing to the nurses about what she thought had happened to her because she wasn't quite sure. The next day, she confronted Dr. John, asking him, what the hell was in that drug you gave me last night? And Dr. John's reply was, why? Did it give you wild dreams? What? So Candace knew from his reply that he was never going to admit what he did to her or what she thought he did to her. And she would have a hard time proving that a rape even happened.
1: He had it all set up. It was just you took a drug and you had crazy dreams.
0: So Candace drove two hours away to the town of Regina to the rape crisis center where she underwent a rape examination. She turned over her underwear and jeans that she had been wearing that night in the hospital. And she wanted an examination of everything to prove that she was not making it up because she still wasn't quite sure. Mm -hmm. A blood test would reveal that Candace still had traces of Versed in her system. Now, Versed is also known as medazolam a benzodiazepine used before surgery or painful procedures that causes drowsiness and its purpose is to decrease anxiety. So think of when if you've ever had a colonoscopy, that is the drug they usually give you. It also affects memory, allowing patients not to remember the procedure they're going through. Tests would also show semen from an unknown male on Candace's jeans, underwear, and on vaginal swabs. Candace then notified local authorities accusing Dr. John Schneeberger, of sexually assaulting her. I'm so glad she trusted her instincts. She did. And you'll see that throughout this episode. And we'll talk a little more about Candace at the end. So Dr. John Schneeberger was not a native of Kipling or Canada, for that matter. He was born in Zambia, in the country of Africa, and had come to Canada in 1987 from South Africa, where he held citizenship. In 1991, he married divorced mother of two, Elisa Dillman, and then the two would go on to have two daughters of their own. Dr. John was seen as a much-beloved local doctor who volunteered his time to various fundraising opportunities in the area. Now, Candace had her supporters who believed her, but they were far and few between once this news broke. really? Well, this was a small, rural farming community, keep in mind. Okay. The small community seemed to side with Dr. John and thought Candace, a single mom, made false allegations in order to get some money out of the good doctor. They bolstered their disbelief of Candace's allegation as she said nothing to the hospital staff immediately afterwards, and she had a reputation as a partier around town. So there were also the nurses on duty that night who noticed nothing amiss when Dr. John left the examination room. Now, there was no nurse in the examination room while this all happened. So now I know, I don't know in Canada if they have this. I'm not sure it's practice there. I know it is here now that when you're in an examination room, usually if the doctor is of the opposite sex, that a nurse will be in the room with you. So there's like three people in the examination room.
1: Yeah. You should request it if they're not. (laughs) If you
0: do not feel comfortable, yes, that is correct. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police began their investigation. Dr. John was contacted and wanting to put these allegations to rest, he volunteered to give a blood sample. The blood was drawn by a nurse from the doctor's left arm and sent off for testing. The test results would show that the blood drawn from the doctor's arm did not match. The DNA taken from Candace's rape kit. Okay. Mm. So when Candace was told those results, she's like, nope, no, she did not believe them. She felt that something shady had happened and that the sample was switched or the results were tampered with. Candace persisted with authorities who agreed to ask for another blood sample, but this time it would be in the presence of a law enforcement official. Dr. John agreed again to give another voluntary sample in August 1993. This time, the sample was drawn by a registered nurse from Dr. John's left arm in front of the police, and the vials were taken directly to the lab at police headquarters. Now, once again, the results would show that the DNA did not match, Still, Candace wouldn't accept those results. She didn't know how Dr. John was getting away with it, but she knew he raped her. Dr. John also defended himself to police, saying that the drug he injected Candace with that night to calm her down can cause, quote, erotic hallucinations. (laughs) That's some movie stuff, Dr. John. Come on. I did not see anything when I was looking at the drug that said specifically that, but Come on. So the theory Dr. John was laying out was that Candace could really believe something happened to her, but it could all be in her mind.
1: Come on.
0: However, the semen taken from inside Candace and found on her jeans and underwear states otherwise. Yeah, right. Candace also claimed that she had not had any sexual intercourse with anyone for weeks prior to the night of the incident. Candace was resolute in her conviction that Dr. John had raped her and she was a woman on a mission. In 1994, the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, closed Candace's case. Citing the two DNA samples did not match Candace's rape kit, and they had no further evidence that pointed to anyone, especially Dr. John Sneeberger. So they just closed the case? Uh She said, someone assaulted
1: me. I didn't have consensual sex. They found semen on her clothing, and they just closed it because
0: it wasn't him. They had no more suspects. It didn't match Dr. John. They closed the case. Wow. Okay. However, mm. Candace did not give up. Okay,
1: good. good.
0: <laughs> she moved away from the Kipling area and resettled in Red Deer in the Providence of Alberta. She hired a private detective, Larry O'Brien, a 25-year veteran of the RCMP. She was certain that Dr. John raped her and wanted O'Brien to get his DNA for comparison. So O'Brien's first attempt involved sending an associate into Dr. John's office with a story about a radio show contest asking him to fill out an entry form and seal it in an envelope, hoping the saliva on the envelope could be used for comparison. That first attempt would end in failure as somehow the envelope became contaminated and could not be used. On the second attempt, O'Brien broke into Dr. John's car and collected hair samples from the headrest. Now, unfortunately, none of those hairs had roots on them and could not be used with the testing technology at the time. So nowadays, I think we can test hairs without the root. Back then, you could not. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The third attempt involved O'Brien once again breaking into Dr. John's car and this time finding a used chapstick tube. O'Brien could see that the edges of the chapstick were rounded, indicating it had been used. He then ran the chapstick over the inside of a window-paned envelope, the window part of it, hoping to catch the affilials that could be used to extract DNA. So there were two problems that Candace could face with O'Brien breaking into Dr. John's car and extracting the chapstick. One, did the chapstick actually belong to Dr. John? Oh, right. And would the affilials be his? Mm. Second, any evidence collected could not be used in court because O'Brien didn't have a warrant. None of that mattered to Candace. She just wanted to prove that her rape kit would match Dr. John's DNA. Yeah, she wanted this to stay open. Sure. So Candace paid a private lab to run the test and patiently waited for the results. And her patience paid off. The DNA extracted from the chapstick was a match for the semen on Candace's clothing and vaginal swabs. So if there was a match, then how did Dr. John's DNA not match the two previous blood tests? So Candace's next step was to file a civil suit against Dr. John. Candace retails sitting across from Dr. John's wife during the depositions and the hostility she experienced rolling off of her. I bet. Now, due to the pressure, Dr. John once again voluntarily agreed to take another blood test. This time, the procedure would take place at the police forensic lab. It would be videotaped and performed by a forensic lab technician. And this occurred on November 20th, 1996.
1: So we're four full years after this assault by now.
0: Yes. And Candace has not given up.
1: She's kept that fire burning. Good. She
0: has. Good. So at first, Dr. John appeared helpful and friendly, like he had the two previous blood draws. So then the technician asked to draw blood from a finger prick, which was their usual procedure because it was less invasive. Like give a little prick, drop a little blood. Okay, thank you. Dr. John politely refused, claiming that he had a disease that would cause his hands to bruise. So since the doctor was volunteering to give his blood, he could not be forced to do anything he wasn't comfortable with.
1: John, is this like the erotic hallucinations with the drug? Like this is not a thing. <laughs> I don't know. They never really
0: went back and explained the, the hand bruising. So Gene Rooney, the RCMP biology lab technician, inserted the needle into Dr. John's left arm but nothing came out. And she found that odd as the vein appeared very enlarged. She tried again and still had trouble, but eventually was able to extract a small amount of blood. Afterward, Rooney can be seen on the videotape looking perplexed as to why the blood she just extracted from his arm didn't look fresh. And you can see that in the forensic file episode, you can see this perplexed look on her face like this doesn't look right. So the lab would report back that the sample was too degraded for DNA testing to take place. Now, at this point, I'm not sure what the next step was because there is no indication that the degraded sample was investigated and another example was taken. And since Dr. John was volunteering to give his DNA, it may be that the RCMP didn't have enough evidence to compel him for a finger prick sample. Candace, however, wouldn't let it go. Get it, girl. And kept calling prosecutors and investigators wanting an explanation of how you get a degraded sample of blood from a person when you're taking that sample directly from their arm. Mm -hmm. Five months would pass and the evidence the police need would come to them. That all changed on April 25th, 1997, five years after Candace's sexual assault. The RCMP was notified by Dr. John's wife, Lisa, that her daughter, who might have been 13, could have been up to 15. I've read two different ages on this, but she was a young teenager, claimed that her stepfather, Dr. John Schneeberger, had been drugging and assaulting her, too. Mm hmm. Lisa's daughter from her first marriage had asked one day if she could go to her father's house for the weekend. Lisa questioned this request as she knew her daughter had a babysitting job lined up. That is when her daughter started crying and took her mother to her bedroom. Her daughter pulled back the cover showing her a condom wrapper, saying, Mom, he has done this before. Oh my gosh. Lisa called John on his cell phone while he was driving back from an out-of-town medical conference, telling him to pull off the road. She then confronted him, telling him what her teenage daughter had just told her. She told me what you've been doing to her. I know. You did it to Candace too, didn't you? Dr. John denied the allegations, but Lisa still kicked him out of the house the next day. Good, good. So Lisa then began to search her husband's home office, and I think she did this pretty much right after getting off the phone with him. And his home office was right next door to her daughter's bedroom. I hope he's panicking in that car ride. (laughs) There in his office, she found a box that had been hidden, put up on a very high shelf. And when she got it down and looked at it, it contained gloves, syringes, vials of medicine, including Versed, and condoms. Lisa was aware that John had treated all their children with injections, even for run-of-the-mill ailments. He said it was a quicker way of delivering medication compared to a pill or a liquid. So think about that when your kid has a cough or sore throat. Instead of giving him cough syrup, he was injecting them with medications. So almost if he was doing
1: it to help make the rape stuff seem less weird like he's almost using these other things to just like lay the groundwork for the sexual
0: assaults that he really liked injecting people oh that's even oh okay okay so <laughs> Lisa <laughs> then remembered one time that her daughter had gotten up in the morning feeling very groggy and crying Doctor told her that her stepfather had come into her room in the middle of the night and given her an injection Lisa questioned John and he admitted he had done so due to her coughing Asking his wife, didn't you hear her coughing? And I will say this is classic gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Because he turned it around to make it seem like I'm the responsible parent. I heard her in distress. I went to help her. You didn't hear her coughing? He's like evil. He's very manipulative for sure. So Lisa dismissed the incident at the time, but now believed it was something more sinister. And Lisa didn't hesitate, like I said, to notify authorities about her husband raping her daughter. Dr. John Schneeberger was arrested in order to undergo yet another DNA test, which again would be videotaped. But this time, he was handed a warrant for his hair, a cheek swab, and a finger prick sample. You can see on the videotape from the Forensic Files episode that Dr. John doesn't look so friendly this time around. He looks a bit defeated. So once all those samples were forensically tested... They came back as a match for Candace's rape kit from five years before. You bet they did. Dr. John Schneeberger went on trial in September 1999 in a Saskatchewan courtroom. Now, he was charged with aggravated sexual assault on his stepdaughter, one count of sexual assault on Candace, two charges of administering a noxious substance to commit an indicatable offense, and one count of obstruction of justice. Now, Dr. John took the stand in his own defense, and he told the court that he had been framed. Oh, God. And that someone, either Candace or someone she knew, had stolen his sperm. (sighs) Most likely by breaking into his house and taking a used condom and then using that to accuse him of rape. And to defend himself, he had to use a false blood sample. (laughs) Come on. But how did he do it, right? (laughs) He had three samples taken. Why would he do the false blood sample?
1: Why wouldn't he just tell police that? They had broken into his house and only stolen a
0: condom a used condom who
1: steals sperm from used condoms to try to set you
0: (laughs) Well, I think he was trying to claim that again It's a story but he's trying to say that it was all a setup from the beginning Someone stole his sperm cried rape and this was for like to extort him for For money money. Except there's never been any money extortion this whole time. Candace didn't want money even though she took him to civil court That was the only route she had to do because they closed her case. Correct.
1: And you defend yourself by going to the police and reporting it, not creating a false blood sample.
0: Well, okay. <laughs> so here's how he did it. So Schneeberger knew that after Candace notified authorities that he may have to eventually give up a blood sample, he inserted a 15 centimeter, what's called a Penrose drain, into his left arm over the vein. So a very small drain, like a vial almost. And the drain was filled with a male patient's blood in anticoagulants to keep the blood fluid. Mm. So this poor unknown male patient, he's
1: dragged into another person dragged into this yes
0: so the reason for this third sample being so discolored was that by the time it was taken it had been multiple years later
1: oh so he had it in his arm for years years somebody else's blood
0: in a vial in a A little pin rose drain yeah in his arm if you watch the forensic files episode and i highly encourage you do again it's an interesting episode it's not very long you can see Schneeberger rolling up his left sleeve, always the left arm, remember? Yeah. Rolling it up, but not much farther beyond the elbow. Usually when you roll it up, you're rolling it up, you know, mid-bicep or so. No, no. It was like right beyond the elbow. And you can see at one point when the technician wasn't paying attention, you can see he extends his arm and you can see the drain in his arm. But that's why she felt he had an enlarged vein. It wasn't the vein. It was the drain. So the Crown prosecutor, in closing, described John Schneeberger as a cold-blooded predator who took what he wanted without regard. The prosecutor reminded the court that Candace had nothing to gain by continuing to pursue justice. She had been ostracized by her community and forced to move away from the town she had always lived in. Dr. John Schneeberger was found guilty of sexually assaulting Candace and his stepdaughter in obstruction of justice. Judge Ellen Gunn sentenced John Schneeberger to six years. But that's it? In prison. That's it? That is it.
1: Oh, man.
0: And he would be eligible for parole after serving only two. What? Now, I will say, one article I read, it wasn't quite clear, I think, in her sentencing of him. And I don't even know, even though he was found guilty of sexually assaulting Canvas because she had the DNA, there was no DNA for the stepdaughter. Oh my so I don't goodness. know if she truly was found guilty of her sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this judge <laughs> sentenced him to six years, which, from what I understand, might even be below the sentencing guidelines for such an offense. So Schneeberger's medical license in Canada was revoked in December 2000. Thankfully, Mm, at least there's that, I guess. So the story continues, though. The night before Schneeberger's guilty verdict, he was to have an overnight visit, an unsupervised overnight visit with his two young biological daughters who at the time were five and six years old. His ex-wife at the time refused to send them. And ended up paying a $2,000 in contempt of court charge because John filed a contempt of court against her.
1: So she had to pay $2,000 so that her two daughters didn't have to spend unsupervised time with their rapist dad who raped his stepdaughter. Well, now, I don't know if he was found guilty of the rape of the stepdaughter, but yes, allegedly raped his stepdaughter. So she had to pay $2,000 essentially to protect
0: her, her daughters. Yes. Okay. She's a single mom now you know, with four kids in total. And so she's financially set. So she, yes, she paid this fine. Now, Schneemberger would not relent in insisting that Lisa bring their daughters to visit him once he was in jail. These were to be monthly visits. Lisa appealed and the Saskatchewan Court of Queens Bench Justice Jean Maurice heard the case. Now, unfortunately, Lisa was ordered to take the girls to prison to see her now ex-husband at Alberta's Bowdoin Penitentiary. These visits, again, were to take place once a month. Now, Lisa continued to reach out to various politicians. She couldn't afford contempt of court charges, but she kept writing politicians, calling them, hoping that they could help her. She didn't want her young daughters to see the man that had sexually assaulted their older sister, especially in a prison setting. Lisa asked if even the visits could take place at a nearby hotel instead. OK, I'll do the visits, but can it be somewhere outside the prison? But that was denied by authorities saying that Schneeberger was too dangerous to be let out. For two years only. For his six-year sentence. Two, yeah. yeah, peace. So on the day Lisa was to bring her girls to jail, she did. She drove to the prison and they were greeted by over 100 protesters there to support Lisa at the prison gates. As they were approaching the visitor's room, both young girls started crying and clutching on Lisa's leg. The court-appointed social worker, who was present, seeing the girls so upset, called the visit off. This is not in their best interest for their mental health, and she sent them home. Now, soon after, Schneeberger relented and agreed to not insist on further visits.
1: Thank goodness.
0: So, in June 2001, Schneeberger came up for parole, which was denied at his hearing. He admitted to crimes and deceits, referring to the scars on his arm from the drain as a badge of dishonor. And he apologized for his denial, as he called it. Mm. One parole board member who referred to Schneeberger's statement as shallow and self-serving, which it was. However, in 2003, Schneeberger would gain his freedom after serving a little over four years of his six-year sentence.
1: No, that doesn't sit right with me. I'm I'm sure it
0: didn't sit right with a lot of people in Canada. So by this time, Lisa had been working to have him deported. (laughs) So... Lisa, she's like, mm, I don't want him in Canada. I want him around our daughters. She had contacted immigration authorities claiming that Schneeberger deceived everyone and had finally been exposed as a criminal and should be denied his citizenship or at that time have his citizenship revoked. In August 2003, the Canadian federal court agreed with Lisa that John Schneeberger would lose his citizenship status and be deported. The court felt that the doctor had at the time lied to obtain his citizenship, because when he was in the process of applying for citizenship, he claimed on his application that he was not under any police investigation in 1993. Uh-huh. Remember, they did not close the case till I believe 94. Once a liar, though, always a liar. I mean, that is true. Come on. So in December 2003, John Schneeberger was stripped of his Canadian citizenship and deported back to South Africa. He was escorted to Johannesburg by two RCMP officers. They wanted to make sure he got there. Schneeberger had been registered as a medical professional in South Africa in the 1980s, but but his registration had lapsed in 1991 because, of course, he's in Canada. He attempted to reapply to be recognized as a medical professional, but it doesn't look as if it was successful. And I don't know if that's because he just removed it. I did read an article that some of the women's organizations in South Africa were not happy about this, about his return to South Africa, this convicted sexual offender. Certainly did not want him to have access To patients back in the medical field. So I don't know if it was their protest that he removed reapplying or they denied it. I wasn't too sure on that. So he appears to have moved back in with his mother in Duban, South Africa, where he, last I read, worked in catering. So there was a Canadian TV movie made about Candace's story entitled I Accused, which aired in 2003 and starred actress Estella Warren, Okay, who, by the way, I found out is like an Olympian. Oh, so I they know. they did Candace real good in the end. I think she got into trouble later years for oh, well, <laughs> for some some maybe alcohol issues, but yes. Eh. At the time she is uh yeah, I forget for what. She's made the Olympic team for. Oh my gosh, I can't even remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, she did. She was Olympian. So Bob Mills, a Canadian politician from Red Deer, had brought forth a bill entitled Lisa's Law or Bill C-400 that would limit the rights of children's access to parents who are convicted of sex offenses. So I don't know if there was anything on the books at the time to protect children whose one parent who's convicted of sex, sex offenses is in prison, having to go visit them. He put this bill forth. I do have in the resource section his speech to the legislator when he was laying this bill forth. I do not know if it ever passed and became law. So anybody in Canada, if Lisa's Law is on the books, let us know. Let us know. Absolutely. So though no one was murdered, horrific crimes were committed. Good grief. Okay, so Estella
1: Warren was a synchronized swimmer. Ah, That's it. (laughs) But this, Candace, I just... I love these stories where they the women that they make assumptions, it's not always women, right? I focus on women because I am one, but people that they make assumptions about, we're not going to listen to you because the guy you're accusing is in this valued social role as a doctor in this small community, and he gets the upper hand regardless of what facts are being presented, regardless of how insistent you are. We toss it aside, we're going to close your case. And I just, that is very hard in the face of that to keep going. And I just I love Candace for that.
0: Yeah, she you see in the forensic file episode, the crown prosecutor, he talks about Candace's strong personality. And almost as if like, you know, if you have a strong personality, sometimes that can work against you. But in Candace's case, it didn't. And I'm like, It it shouldn't matter hypocritical. Yeah, it's this is shame on the police
1: for not investigating this fully. Something clearly happened to her and she was persistent. It's their job to follow through on this.
0: I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here and say they were following the law. And he kept volunteering. He did. And he was smart when he volunteered because he can't be compelled to give the sample any other way, whether he knew that or not. They didn't have enough to get a warrant for him, whether they thought, okay, something's here, something's not right. Especially when Candace brought the civil suit and is like, hey, how do I have this match? And all these times you guys took it didn't match. She kept pursuing it. So, yes, heroes of the story. Candace, definitely. I'm going to give Lisa a shout out for yeah. automatically believing her daughter, not downplaying it, not, oh, well, did it, or saying, you sure this isn't your boyfriend's, you know, kind of thing. No, no, from the get go and fighting to protect all of her children. That's right. So hats off to her, too. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like a lot of people
1: fell victim to his manipulation.
0: Sure. He was an upstanding doctor. He had never been committed of a criminal offense before that we know of. He volunteered his time for various fundraising activities in this very small town. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it was a big city; it was a small rural community, less than a thousand people. And you have this upstanding doctor who's bringing medical care, who delivered babies in the community, right? Yeah, he delivered Candace's yeah. baby in the community. That's why she felt comfortable with him at first. And then you have Candace, who's looked upon as this partier, single mother working at a gas station. Well, I don't know if she kept her job since she walked out that night, but you know, you have these two different different socioeconomic statuses, two different reputations. So the community mostly sided with Dr. John. So hopefully... After this all came out, the people of Kipling, hopefully it was a teachable moment, a teachable moment. (laughs) And, you know, hopefully some people have apologized for not believing her. She does have like her best friend believed her. You see her parents on the forensic files. They're just cute as buttons. They believed her with a cute little Canadian accent. (laughs) You know, from the get go, they didn't think their daughter was making this up. She wasn't doing it for extortion purposes. Like you're going to pay me this much money. XYZ It wasn't about that for her. It was about justice. You do see on the Forensic File episode, I guess they were filming it during his first appeal process when it was denied. And she's told that. And she's just so happy. Yes. (laughs) Lost his appeal, though, you know, two short years later, he would get out. But for her, it was about justice. I'm not a liar. I didn't make this up. He took advantage of me. He's a rapist and this time a serial rapist. And I was right. And that that's pretty extreme to implant someone else's blood
1: into your body to avoid detection mm-hmm. and capture. That's thats not like dyeing your hair, changing your identity. That's whew,
0: next level. That's that's ballsy. <laughs> That's, he went to quite a link to evade justice. All right, everyone. Well, that is the story of Dr. John Sneeper, And I'm going to say actually the story of Candace. The story of Candace and Lisa and Indeed. these powerful Canadian women. You go. And the daughter who said okay something's happening i know this isn't right seeing that condom Mm -hmm. and and going to her mom and being as scary as that was i'm sure telling her so hats off to these yes strong canadian women and i will say criminal discourse life tip let's all be candace Let's all be Candice or Candy. However, whatever you prefer. (laughs) We like it. There we go. Well, thank you, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. All we would ask is if you have, on whatever platform you're listening to us on, if you could give us a review, we'd uh, greatly appreciate it. Give us some stars. And subscribe. Send it to a friend. Yeah, really, we are word of mouth. We've said that before. Our budget for marketing is Well, zero. So (laughs) it's all word of mouth. Just sweat equity. That's all. That's it. That's all. Someday it'll maybe turn the (laughs) corner. All right. So as always, if you see something, say something. You might have that missing piece of the puzzle it takes to solve a crime. Or like we said earlier, be a Candace and just persevere in your conviction that you are right. Be that strong personality. Do not take no for an answer. And if you think something shady, go with your gut. So In this crazy world, in these crazy times, we need to look out for one another, we need to support one another, and we also need to be kind to one another. So until next time, guys, bye.